Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tejos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Valerie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Smart Karma Insight Provider Chris Wang, who will be sharing with us what is in store for the Chinese healthcare industry in 2023. Before we start, a bit of standard housekeeping. As always, please feel free to send in your questions for our insight provider throughout the webinar using the Q&A button on your Zoom app, and we will get to them during the Q&A section. Please do not reshare the contents of this webinar without expressed permission. A recording will be available afterwards on the registration page and will be sent to all attendees. And with that, thank you, Chris, for being with us today. Maybe you can give us a brief introduction of your background before we dive right into the topic for today. Hi, everyone. This is Chris from Smart So before Smartcom, I work in Ernest Young and, also, and then I have an MBA degree in Duke University in the U.S. And afterwards, I work in two healthcare company. Uh, one is David Kinder Care in the United States, and then coming back to China to work in Fosinus Medical Care. And then afterwards, I joined by side PE firm Fosin Pharma and work as an investment director. And then I'm working for Small Karma. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So thanks for having me today. Now let's start for the presentation directly. Okay. The 20th National Congress raised the strategic capability to the highest level, which is to ensure the security and emphasize bottom line thinking. So the autonomy and controllability of key supply chains become more and more important. Meanwhile, the most relevant to the national strategic needs is to maintain stable medical insurance expenditure, especially in the context of aging problem and decreasing birth rate. That is to say, the most obvious opportunity in China healthcare at the current stage is import substitution. If import substitution is fully realized, it can bring clear performance increase to the companies. On the other hand, COVID-19 has always been a lingering theme in the past year. We also saw big rise of pandemic-related stocks. However, after China released new measures to further optimize the pandemic prevention and control policy, since the end of last year. It means that the playbook of the pandemic has ended. That is to say, the rally and the positive sentiment of COVID-related stocks would gradually fade. After the peak of infection, related demand would fall back quickly. However, in 2023, we are optimistic that China healthcare would gain more household expenditure 
in the long COVID effect, thus generating excess returns under the logic of expanding domestic demand. It should be noted that the demand for the non-COVID medical service from 2020 to 2022 was very abnormal as the utilization rate of hospital beds in tertiary hospitals declined significantly during this period. Meanwhile, before the pandemic, the outpatient volume in China increased by close to 10% over the years. But in 2022, the outpatient volume increased negatively. After China reopens, outpatient volume in 2023 is expected to increase by about 15% year. Obviously, the logic of hospital patient flow recovery has not been fully reflected in the stock price. Once the pandemic situation could be controlled, the non-pandemic related companies would see the obvious rebound of demand as surgeries, diagnosis, and treatment service in hospitals return to normal. That in turn means the demand for the products of upstream pharmaceutical and medical device companies would rebound soon. It is expected that the recovery of the healthcare industry after the pandemic would be imminent. Therefore, we would recommend investors consider making layout in those non-COVID-related companies in 2023. And based on the above analysis, MediDevice and Biotech are the two sectors deserve investors more attention this year. And we think good companies are expected to have good performance in 2023. Okay, now let's go to the next part. device. Last year, there were some positive policies in device sector. For example, first, last October, the State Council decided to support the renovation of medical equipment with special refinancing and financial interest subsidy so as to achieve the goal of expanding market demand and increasing development potential. Second, the logic of China's new infrastructure projects still applies in medical sectors. Considering the construction cycle and the current situation of China's medical and healthcare, this will be a long logic, like three to four years or even longer. Uncertainty is very high. Third, the National Healthcare Security Administration will set aside a certain market to provide space <clears throat> for innovative products to explore the market 
and are not affected by centralized procurement. We think of this as a policy correction on the payment side of medical innovation, which has certain symbolic significance. Fourth, <coughs> some BVP becomes friendly with moderate price reduction. Meanwhile, the renewal results of coronary stand centralized procurement were better than expected. Although the bid winning or bid winning price of centralized procurement this time has not been completely restored, the renewal results reflected that the government's attitude towards the price reduction of centralized procurement tend to be more reasonable. While maintaining the stability of the maximum price, it also implies the correction of excessively low price, which makes us optimistic about the renewal of other products in centralized procurement. Within the medi-device sector, imaging equipment and uh, endoscopes are two fields worth the attention. Because according to the state's finance discount policy, imaging equipment and endoscopes with large value occupy two main demand. At present, import substitution rate of endoscopes and high-end ultrasound is still at a low level, like about 10%. But the industry pattern has changed greatly in recent years. For example, the technical level of domestic ultrasound has made a great breakthrough. And domestic leading companies have begun to enter the field of high-end ultrasound. Comparatively, for endoscopes, foreign companies accounted for more than 90% of the global and uh, domestic soft endoscope market. That is to say, for companies with core technology capabilities entering high-end fields, there is considerable room for import substitution. And based on the above analysis, Mindre and Sonoscape are our top picks in medical device sector because both are leading companies in the field of endoscopes and ultrasound. Looking forward, we think the logic of import substitution and a policy catalyst would help Mindre and Sonoscape maintain high growth in the future and enhance the certainty of performance. <clears throat> now let's talk about biotech. It is pleasing to see that the competitiveness and the transaction level of Chinese products in licensing deals are becoming mature in recent years. And we have seen some high quality licensing deals last year. In fact, 
Chinese pharmaceutical company are becoming more pragmatic in their licensing cooperation, which has more trend significance for the development of the industry than the value of a product or an enterprise. Based on this mentality, when it comes to how to evaluate the overseas licensing cooperation, we would pay more attention to the position of these assets in the global competition and whether such cooperation would bring incremental value after the transaction. The evaluation criteria should mainly focus on the value of the transaction object and whether it is more conductive to the subsequent development, industrialization and commercialization of this drug after the transaction. All other factors are just additives to this judgment. And we believe that in the future, with the continuous progress of China's innovation and R&D capabilities, more products are expected to participate in the global first-in-class, best-in-class competition, which would attract more accomplished, well-known business partners in related fields to cooperate with Chinese companies. This is the real purpose of licensing cooperation, which is even more valuable than the amount of money in the deal. On the other hand, it should be pointed out that many biotech companies are still not favored by the secondary market. One important reason is that they are not good enough in commercialization. Here, we think it is important to clarify for investors what constitutes commercialization success. That is, to generate revenue at scale and a stable profitability through the sale of drugs. Nothing else should be called successful commercialization, such as drugs getting approval, entering medical insurance reimbursement list, reaching licensing out deals, rapidly increasing sales, but with widening net loss, etc. They are just milestones in the process of achieving successful commercialization. According to the above standard, most of the biotech companies in China cannot be said to achieve commercialization success. But at least they have been able to show the difference. And the core is the sales growth as well as the speed at which it drives the approach to break even. After all, in any case, the ultimate goal of an 
unprofitable company is to break even, make a profit, pay out dividend, and enter a virtuous circle. At present, a number of biotech companies have been listed in China. And basically, they are still in red. And the number of the and the amount of loss is expanding. When will they be profitable? In our view, the biggest part of expenditure is R and D expenses. It would cost at least RMB 1.5 billion per year to maintain the leading position, which is the minimum requirement. We think that the annual R&D expenditure of those top tier biotech companies would exceed RMB 3 billion per year. Assuming that the gross profit margin is about 80% and the SGNA expense account for about 35% of total revenue after large scale sales. Together with the R&D <clears throat> expenditure of RMB 3 billion per year, then the biotech company needs to have about RMB 7 billion revenue to achieve break-even. If the R&D expenses are more than RMB 4 billion per year due to the large number of pipeline candidates, then the revenue need to be more than RMB 9 billion so as to avoid losses. After the break-even point, as the biotech company begins to be mature, the proportion of the expense, expenses begins to decline and the profit margin begins to increase gradually with growth of the revenue. So, Based on the above analysis, investors can estimate the time for biotech to achieve profitability. As long as the scale of revenue increase gradually, biotech can make money in the end after on the expenditure and the expenses are kept under control. For small biotech companies, it is the most important to keep cash flow at a certain level and be able to sustain it. This is the key consideration when selecting investment targets in our view. Overall, we think share price of biotech companies would diverge in 2023. Now our recommendation is to focus on high quality biotech companies and they will achieve a higher level of import substitution in the future. Now let's talk about CXO. CXO had high performance growth last year and the COVID-19 projects were an important reason to drive the growth leading to the high base last year, which could put pressure on this year's performance growth if without COVID-19 projects.
Meanwhile, the investment logic of CXO has changed. For a long time, China CXO is taking advantage of domestic low labor cost to win overseas orders. As the company expands overseas production facilities, the labor cost there would inevitably be much higher than that in domestic facilities, which would finally lead to lower margins of CXO. Together with increasing cost due to inflation and geopolitical conflicts, the margins are likely to drift lower in the future. In other words, in front of those global reputable leading competitors, without domestic low-cost labor advantage, China's CXO will have to compete with other strengths, such as R&D capability, cutting-edge technology, etc., so as to continue obtaining overseas orders and secure their lead in the long run. Currently, many China CXO have over 80% revenue from overseas market. They are mainly dependent on overseas orders to drive high growth. And the domestic business growth rate is falling gradually. Any factors that could affect overseas business would directly affect the valuation expectation on CXO. For example, the overseas recession, depression expectation could be the major playbook in 2023. In this context, financing in the US may not turn around soon. There may not be many pharmaceutical IPOs in the US. The capital investment could be insufficient. The weak sentiment of the secondary market would be transmitted to the primary market. And declining funding of pharmaceutical companies in capital markets due to unfriendly external environment will feedback into the CXO industry. In fact, financing is a leading indicator of CXO orders. The CXO orders are a leading indicator of CXO revenue. The investment logic reversal of China CXO largely depends, depends on the improvement of financing situation when the overseas secondary market boom comes back. Recently, we have seen some nice rally in China CXO, which was not based on the fundamental reversal of investment logic. The previous oversold and the rebound brought by the improvement of investors' confidence in China's economic recovery are the main factors. In our view, for CXO, share price would rebound after plunge, which provides a good opportunity to trade 
However, it would be difficult to achieve the V-shaped rebound or hit new highs of share price. Thank you. Now I'm open for questions. Thank you so much for the insightful presentation, Chris. As mentioned before, participants, you can now send in your questions for our speaker using the Q&A button on your Zoom app. Perhaps I can start the Q&A session off with a question from our team. Chris, I think this is a question that everyone wants to know about. So are there any good biotech companies that you would recommend to follow? Well, in China biotech sector, Innovant is the first tier because it is expected to transform from biotech into biopharma with high certainty. So it should be separated from the other biotech. In the second tier, Remagen and Akeso deserves watching. Both still have a long way to go to be a biopharma, but they have high quality differentiated products. For Remagen, the collaboration with Sijin is the key to unlock its potential. For Akeso, it needs to carry out head-to-head -head trials with PD-1 to demonstrate that bispecific antibody can bring better marginal clinical benefits than a combination of two maps. So this would be a touchstone of great attention, not only for KSO itself, but also to try to lay a foundation for the outlook for the whole specific antibody mechanism. And Beijing is another company with attention it has the highest R&D level and academic ability among domestic innovative drug company. But Beijing cannot be assessed according to the standards of China biotech. Its cost structure and the break-even point are basically different from the rest biotech company. So at the current investment level of Beijing, it will need successful R&D of blockbuster products plus the successful commercialization in, in global markets to achieve the break-even. So um, these are the four questions, the four companies that I would recommend investors to follow. Awesome, thank you so much. We have another question from the floor. Regarding the logic for CXO as in inflation is in decline and the interest rate environment becomes less hawkish and we see the NASDAQ biotech index rebound from lows would this qualify as an improvement in financing environment? Sure. So if the Fed becomes less hawkish, I hope so next year, uh, this year, this will help the whole financing environment too. The problem is that I don't know when the Fed will change its attitude. And, you know, for CXO, I think we need booms in the secondary market and we hope to see a lot of bubbles there. So currently, the XBI is still at a low range. I don't think there are too many bubbles. So we, we still need to wait to see the financial situation improvement this year. Awesome. Thank you so much. Another question from the floor would be, can you please share your view on UCI Bio after recent news of its inking of license agreement with GSK? <laughs> I think this is a good direction. This is the right thing for Ushbao to do. The thing is that, as I mentioned in the presentation, you know, after the COVID-19 order, China CXO seems to lose kind of like growth momentum. You know, you need to keep high growth, especially compared with the high base logic. So the GSK's orders is pretty decent, but it cannot fully offset the loss of COVID-19 orders. 
And the point I, that I need to mention here is that when you value, you evaluate those um, foreign big pharma's cooperation, you need to only pay attention to the money you can receive in hand, not the whole package. Because I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of situations that big pharma changed their mind in the end. So that's the point that investors need, investors need to be aware of. Awesome, thank you so much. And perhaps in the interest of time, let's wrap it up with one last question. So what is your opinion on Angel Align Technology Inc? Yeah, I'm actually working on this insight that I will probably uh -huh. publish tomorrow, yeah. So oh my um, the point, uh, point I can add here is that I think it's currently, I, I'm not optimistic about its performance this last year, honestly, because of the weak financial performance. I think that COVID-19 is of course a major reason of this company, but uh, you know, economic downturn and shrinking domestic demand are the, are the other reasons for the continuing decline in their financial performance this year. So I think there are still many uncertainties. Anyway, I will publish the insight tomorrow. Thank you. Awesome, so cool to hear that. So you guys heard it first. Make sure you check out Chris's insight on Angel Align Tech tomorrow. We have just a little bit more time, just one last question and we'll call it a day. Mind Ray was a beneficiary of higher equipment orders like patient monitors, ventilators during the COVID years. Do you think they can continue to grow at 20% from the higher base? Oh, you mean this year? Um, yes. Well, although the management guaranteed that they will have above 20% performance growth this year. I personally doubt, especially when there's recession and depression expectation in overseas markets. You know, major is company with diversified product lines, which means that, for example, if the COVID-19 related products didn't perform well, they've got other product lines to offset those negative impact. But I'm not sure about their overseas business performance this year, which could be an X factor that negative, negatively affects its performance. But uh, even if it cannot have 20% performance growth this year, I think it still has, it still be able to have like above 10% performance growth this year. So, you know, compared with other pharmaceutical or medical device companies in China, such growth rate is not that bad. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that, Chris. And unfortunately, this comes to the end of our webinar. And due to the lack of time, we aren't able to get to all the questions. So if you guys have any more questions, please do reach out to Chris via the Smart Karma platform. And to close this webinar, Chris, perhaps you can share with us some final words you want to leave our audience with about today's topic. Okay, thank you so much for attending. I want to say that 2023 is much better than 2022. If you pick up the right company in China healthcare, you will have the excess return. I'm pretty sure of that. So this year, I will begin to be bullish on China healthcare. But the problem is that please just focus on those high quality companies because GPS will diverge after that. And uh, I think the short term rally will continue until they publish their annual reports and even last to the first half of this year. But in the second half, you know, when the real data comes out, Investors will probably know about how the economy truly recovers. And at that time, things will become more interesting. Yeah, so happy new year. Thank you. <laughs>
Awesome. And that is our webinar for today. Thank you, Chris, for your time. And thank you all attendees for being with us today. If you wish to keep track of more insights on the topic shared today, or you just want to find out a little bit more about Angel Align Tech, I recommend following Chris on Smart Karma so you never miss any of her insights. If you have any other questions or comments, please email us at research at smartkarma.com. If not, do follow us on our social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter at Smart Karma. Tune in next week as we check out what 2023 has in store for the healthcare industry in India. Registration page can be found on our website. Thank you once again, Chris, and thank you everyone for attending. Goodbye. Bye-bye. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.